Lynn Kawana with another episode of The Other Side of Paradise. Psychopathic necrophiliac and clearly very successful at manipulating people, even people who should know better, people who are trained to deal with these people. That's what makes them spooky. We're talking about Rando Saito, the charismatic killer who was deemed insane in 1981. While at the state hospital, he had numerous girlfriends. Even staff members fell for him. He was allowed outside the hospital walls for conjugal visits with women. In the decades he was there, it seemed he was afforded benefits few other patients received. So why did he escape years ago? Joining me now is Daryl Huff, a dinosaur in the media business. Thank you <laughs> so colleague. much. Yes. <laughs> so, Daryl, let's talk about Randall Saito. Just a fascinating story. Just the 2017 escape of Randall Saito was to me an amazing story, but there's even more. For those who don't know, Randall Saito escaped from the Hawaii State Hospital, called a cab after he got out, somehow got a cell phone and a bag of supplies. And a bag of money. And a bag of money because he paid cash for a charter flight to get to Maui to avoid detection here, and then flew from Maui to the mainland. Multiple he was fake IDs. A lot of fake IDs on him. He was on the mainland before DOH even knew he was missing from the Hawaii State Hospital. That in and of itself is fascinating. Were you surprised just to hear everything he went through and obviously someone helped him? Not really surprised actually. One, because of the general incompetence of the Department of Health and the State Hospital, which just glaringly exposed, but also the Randall Saito was probably one of the most manipulative, clever, spooky criminals I ever covered. So this brought up a lot of memories, going back to stories I covered at KITV, at KHON, and even the Honolulu Advertiser in back in 79, 80, 81. So that's when he originally killed this woman. It, it was a random act horribly, in 1979. Horribly spooky, creepy murder case. Senator Yamashiro went to Alamoana Center to go shopping, early 20s, 1979, July. She's sitting in her car in the wide open parking lot. Randall Saito spots her, tells his girlfriend, I want to get this quote correct, she looks nice, she looks nice to kill. Shot her in the head with a pellet rifle, walked over to her, said something like, are you okay? And then stabbed her to death in her car. The girlfriend who witnessed all this said that at times he used to make her play dead when they made love. And he was later diagnosed as a necrophiliac and succeeded in using that to avoid the murder charge. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity, is, is right, the official term. But, but there's something going on there because is he really insane? What was going on with the judge at the time? You, you, have, uh, you covered the trial extensively. You were a court reporter at the mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So tell me about this trial, um, when it was happening in 1981, but also the judge. So Judge uh, Harold Shintaku was actually kind of a charismatic guy. A lot of people liked him, um, but he was a terrible gambler. He had terrible gambling problems. This all came out later on. But at the time in the trial, what happens is you have what's called a three panel, which is three experts, almost always psychiatrists, psychologists. One of them was my abnormal psych professor from UH, a guy named John Blaylock. They found that he was not insane, that he knew what he was doing, that he knew what it was wrong, that he was killing somebody. He knew all that. 
That is not the definition of insanity under the law. But for some reason, Judge Shintaku, uh, it was a jury wave trial, because the lawyer was very smart. His lawyer was David Shutter, mm -hmm. probably the most flamboyant, famous defense lawyer in the state at the time. And he chose to have a jury wave trial, which means it's all up to the judge. And the judge acquitted him by reason of insanity and sent him to the state hospital. It was tremendously controversial. So the judge overruled the panel and made a unilateral decision, basically. Yeah, the, there were defense experts. Uh, the judge's words were, he didn't do it because he was saying he did it out of compulsion and a sick mind. But even the people on the panel were saying this is a miscarriage of justice. And the prosecutor at the time, Charles Marsland, who's also a bigger than life character, he just started blasting this judge. And it really started a domino effect that led to the judge finally killing himself. The trial was in March and April of 1981. And I was a young reporter at KHON covering the courthouse. In those days, the court cases were at the old Supreme Court building. It wasn't the fancy circuit court building with its sally ports and everything. They'd literally pull a paddy wagon up to the side of the building and these guys would walk out and they would have their court clothes on when they walked between the, the, the paddy wagon and the building. And he was a really good looking, well-dressed guy. He wore, you know, the skinny disco shirts and the little angel flight pants. He had a perfect 1980s haircut, little mustache, you know, he looked like, and he was 22 years old at the time of the trial. So he literally would have a new girlfriend sometimes waiting for him in the courtroom. It was just extremely creepy. When Charlie Stevens went on trial, this is another trial I covered, for a double murder that was committed by people who worked for Charlie Stevens. And they dismembered the bodies, and they, it was a man and a woman were the victims. They put them in a shallow grave out in Hawaii somewhere, covered them with lye, did a lousy job. So we got to listen to all these lovely details. And the jury had no trouble convicting Charlie Stevens of a double murder. But then a couple of months later, Judge Shintaku ruled that there was not enough evidence to convict and let him go. So overruled, the, so vacated Vacated the a jury verdict, which never happens. What do you think was going on there? You think Stevens was paying off the judge? Years later, Charlie Stevens, in a plea agreement with the federal government, said he had paid off Harold Shintaku. How much did he pay? Well, it's not really clear. It was, the number 50,000 was dropped, but also all of Shintaku's gambling uh, debts in Vegas went away. So it could have been a lot more than that. Um, none of this has ever been confirmed other than Charlie Stevens saying it. He said it in a plea agreement to the federal government, um, and then he died in prison. So, you know, if further investigation, you know, might prove something else, but that seems to be what happened. So after Charlie Stevens was acquitted, after the judge acquitted Charlie Stevens, reversing a jury verdict, he was subjected to the most vicious and aggressive criticism by the Marsland people and, and many, many people. It was clear to many people that there was something really wrong here. Within a few days after that decision, he was pulled over for a DUI. And the next day after he was pulled over for a DUI, he was found unconscious in his Mokulea beach house having very suspicious injuries. Uh, he had a fractured skull, he had a broken collarbone, and he had ligature marks around his neck. One of the reasons I know this is because we got a tip that he was being brought by ambulance to Wahiwa Hospital. And we managed to get a photographer and myself up there, and I watched as Judge Shintaku was wheeled out of the ambulance 
groggy, his neck going like this, and I was close enough to see the red marks on his neck. So that was a failed suicide attempt? He denied committing suicide. He Trying to, right. He denied trying to commit suicide. He claimed that someone had been following him and that he thinks, you know, he was beaten up, but the police concluded it was a failed suicide. Here's what investigators said about the suicide attempt. It's thought that possibly he had, had in fact sat, stood on a table and had tried to put a ligature on his neck and jumped and that the ligature either fell or broke and he fell to the floor from a distance of anywhere from six to nine feet. After that, not long after that, he retired. And then a number of years later, I want to double check, I think it was uh, in 1989, he successfully committed suicide by slashing his arms and jumping off of a third floor lanai at the Stardust Hotel in Las Vegas. And, and he passed away at that time. He killed himself in Las Vegas where he had a lot of gambling debt, obviously. Did, what's the connection though, other than the lawyer, you know, why would this judge assist Randall Saito? So if you put your best conspiracy theory hat on, <laughs> uh, it would be the, the David Shutter connection. That is, he needed to stay on David Shutter's good side because Charlie Stevens was already paying money to him uh, because he was so deep into gambling that he, he couldn't get out. And uh, the only person with money willing to help him out apparently was Charlie Stevens. So you could see anything he could do to get on David Shutter's good, good side would be worthwhile. A judge getting paid off to help vacate a double murder and then vacate or at least find another murderer insane is truly almost unbelievable. Well, I know, I know. In <laughs> going back through some of the notes and stories about this, it was just, it was a kick in the pants to see how all these things were connected. And, and as a, you know, 23-year-old reporter, I was watching all of it. Now looking back at the 2017 escape, clearly it seems like Randall Saito is sane. He planned this amazing escape, which sounds like a Hollywood movie to me. He actually married someone from the institution and was given taken by car to her home for conjugal visits. I mean, he was a manipulative, smart guy, and he managed to fool doctors and everybody else. But it sounds like the state hospital treated him like a king. What was his problem with the state hospital? Well, when he um, was sentenced just recently, he made a claim that it's not safe there, that he was in danger there. Here's Saito at his sentencing hearing for the escape charge. Your Honor, the irony of uh, having to commit a crime to prove that I was safe is not lost on me. But that is the catch-22 the state hospital put me in. It is a milieu of ineptitude, abuse, and malfeasance. And I have lived through that for decades. I dread the day I have to go back. Uh, I don't even want to think about it, tell you the truth. And I feel neither safe nor comfortable being there. He tried to paint himself to be some sort of hero. I had to escape as far away as possible. He's only going to have about two more years in jail. And then he goes back. And I talked to a couple of legal experts who said that it would be so obvious to any judge, because in order for him to get released, He's gonna to have to come back to a judge and say, not only am I sane, or at least I'm safe, I can live safely in the community, 
they're going to look at what he did and what he said, and they're going to say, no way, you are clearly still, you may not be insane, but you can't be trusted in the community. Meanwhile, the woman he killed, that poor family, right? They never got the murder conviction. They never got justice. Here's this guy who does this amazing escape years and years later, is getting conjugal visits, is marrying all these women. All these women are falling at his feet. Any, anything from the family ever? No, in fact, if you look back, the, there was actually by the construction company, they got together, they put together a $15,000 reward for whoever had came forward with information. I don't know whether she collected the reward, but it was his girlfriend that finally turned him in uh, and telling all these chilling stories about their the bizarre. love life. Yeah, bizarre. Um, but no, you don't see anything in the coverage. And um, you know, when he escaped, we reached out and tried to reach the family. And we were not even successful in finding the, the, the correct family, as far as I can tell. So maybe she didn't have family here? I'm told she had family in Kau. In, in, on the Big Island. On the Big Island. Yeah, but we were very, never very able sad. to reach them. It's just, yeah, it's very sad. There's not even a picture of her that you can find. After Randall Saito was captured in California in 2017, he was brought back and earlier this year was sentenced to five years in prison for the escape charge. He has already served about three of those. When he completes his time, he'll go back to the state hospital. They have a new ward there. They have supposedly better security. But what about the person who helped Randall Saito? Is this another of his girlfriends that we don't know about? And that, again, goes back to if he ever asks to be released, one of the main things they're going to say is, we asked you to identify your supporters who helped you. He definitely didn't do this by himself. No, he didn't. How did he get a phone? How did he get a backpack with supplies and cash? He didn't do it himself. But he's, he's never been asked that? He had access to... I can't remember what it's called, but it was sort of a halfway house, treatment house, either just off or sort of on the side of the state hospital, where they may have access, had access to phones, they may have had access to contraband. Lots of cash, enough to pay for a yeah, charter he flight. Go, he didn't go running to a bank machine. That money was in the bag, right? So somebody set that bag up for him. This is a guy that should never see the light of day. I think they should name that new wing at the state hospital after him. Yeah, but that's supposed to be an honor, right, to have something <laughs> named after you. You want it named after him just to remind people, right, that, that this could happen. That when something bad happens, that's usually when the state actually does something about it. This new ward, is it supposed to be Randall Saito proof? Is that what um, it is? It would reduce the mixing of the really... Uh, spooky patients and the uh, more benign ones, it's still going to be all court-ordered people. But they have a lot more capacity now. So hopefully it will also um, respond to the need in the homeless community with all the chronic mentally ill homeless that we have. Right, who get forced out because there's no room. The state, you know, knew it needed to do this and, and, and Saito's uh, escape made it even easier to get it done. It was a catalyst to get the money they needed to do it, right? There was no question that they were underfunded and needed the help. You call Randall Saito one of the more spooky ones. Because he's a psychopath, clearly, which doesn't make you criminally insane or doesn't get you off of a criminal charge. Psychopathic necrophiliac and clearly very successful at manipulating people even people who should know better, people who are trained to deal with these people. That's what makes him spooky.
Hopefully Saito is never allowed back into our community. That's episode five of The Other Side of Paradise. Mahalo for listening. I'm Lynn Kawano. Thank you.